Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Hello, this is Lauren Bright Pacheco, and I am so pleased to be joined today of all days by Kevin Frankie and Phil Stanford to share some absolutely incredible news and a wonderful update. Kevin, will you take us through it? Boy, where to start? A week ago yesterday, so a week ago last Monday, there was a meeting with the Attorney General and with... Frank's attorney, Nell Brown, in front of Judge Acosta, that I wish to God that there had been cameras there and microphones there because I've never seen a judge as controllably livid when he realized that the Marion County District Attorney's office representative was not going to be there. And finally, he got it out of the uh, attorney general, assistant attorney general, Mr. Gutman, that Marion County had no intention of pursuing the case against Frank Gable. But Mr. Gutman also expressed that he would like the opportunity through the district attorney's office in Marion County to prosecute Frank Gable at any time in the future, six months, six years, 16 years from now. And that is when the fireworks went off in Judge Acosta's head. Judge Acosta asked both sides to submit their opinions on 
what should be done with Frank in terms of his indictment and his future prospects of being prosecuted and further persecuted uh, by the state. And Nell and Mr. Goodman both got those in a few days ago. And as expected, I we got a very prompt decision, a very brief decision and statement by Judge Acosta. In fact, it included capital letters. And the bottom line is that for from this day forth and forevermore, Frank Gable is not to be retried in any way, shape, or form for the murder of Mike Frankie, my brother. And it's gone forever. So he has been exonerated and they cannot retry him. Correct. And that is with prejudice. They cannot come back and change their minds and say, ready or not, here we come. We've created a whole new batch of witnesses for your perusal. Well, Phil, you, along with Kevin and Pat Frankie, have been fighting on behalf of Frank Gable for more than three decades at this point. What does this mean to you after all these years? It's a relief, finally, you know, that, that after all this time and after all this proof that Frank Gable was innocent, I mean, that he was a patsy, that he's finally free. And I think it's worth saying for the, uh, everyone out there who hasn't been following it quite as closely as we have for the past 30-some years, that this meeting, uh, court meeting that uh, Kevin was just talking about, occurred after this Judge Acosta, federal judge, about four years ago, had overturned the, the conviction. Frank Gable had already been in prison about 30 years. And it went to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and they issued an even stronger ruling uh, of findings that all the evidence against Frank had been manufactured. They'd made it up. There never was any physical evidence against Frank. This false foundation was established called Frank Gable, and then they were trying to pile this case on top of it with further bullshit, created witnesses on a foundation that had absolutely no basis. And the whole thing should have crumbled. I think it, it stands to to question what would have happened if they had put m as much effort into investigating your brother's death as they did to manufacturing a case against Frank. That is the string that they never wanted to pull. That's the string that would have pulled the whole sweater apart. And that string is called Johnny Krause. Listeners of the podcast may remember that Johnny Krause confessed more than once to killing Michael Frankie. And Phil and I talked about this uh, the other day, is that that is when they hit the panic button and said, holy shit, Kraus is connected to this person over here who is connected to these people who are the people that killed Mike Frankie. I have to ask you both to, um, you know, certainly this is, I don't want to even call this a happy ending because this is a tragedy on so many levels. As you mentioned, Phil, Frank lost 30 years of his life for a murder. We now can say with complete clarity that he did not commit, but also 
you both in going to bat for him and in questioning who really killed Michael Frankie, you were both thrown under the bus, particularly by the media. What does this mean to you to now to be validated and vindicated in this way? Well, from the beginning, I was writing the column for the Oregonian back then. And then I you know, became aware of the, the murder in, in Salem that wasn't really being covered. And as I watched the reporting in, in my own paper, you know, it was obvious that the reporters weren't asking any questions. I mean, it was sort of typical police reporting. Police reporters rely uh, so much on uh, information from the cops that they are, are eventually captured by the cops. And, and that was uh, certainly the case here. The, the reporters for the Oregonian were just stenographers for the state police. We were strongly encouraged not to speak with the press right after Mike's murder. And I started getting hits from this guy, Phil Stanford, up in Oregon. And he was the whitest red columnist on, in the Northwest. There was no paper in competition and no reporter, nobody in competition. So he had quite a following. And he gave you quite a megaphone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I eventually uh, parted from there. And then uh, a few years later, an, uh, another newspaper uh, started up, the Portland Tribune, and I started writing <laughs> columns about uh, the Frankie murder again. And uh, talking more with Kevin, of course, and, and, and sort of uh, poking the bear, trying to get them to react. Uh, and, and they did. They did. They, they did like a, a three-page hit piece. There's no other way to look at it because it was so very personal, uh, attacking <laughs> me and, and Kevin. And calling your thoughts about the murder conspiracy theories. They were taking the state's line on this, the state police line. And so they wrote this three-page hit piece attacking me. I expected that, but they, they went after Kevin. In a way I've, I've never seen before in a newspaper, they tried to make him out as crazy. Well, this had been the state police line from the beginning, that he was crazed by grief and he was making up uh, uh, all these stories, uh, these conspiracy driven theories about why his brother was killed. Obsessed. He, he was obsessed. Well, I, <laughs> we were all obsessed. Anyone who's maintained an interest for more than five minutes was obsessed. Right. Breaking new journalistic grounds, attacking a member of the murder victim's family for raising questions about his brother's death, his, his brother's murder, about the investigation of his brother's murder. And... To this day, the Oregonian has not apologized for that, and uh, that, that's something I'd like to see. Nearly 35 years later, you guys have been proven absolutely right in raising the questions that you did, and your theory wasn't a conspiracy theory, it was reality. You know, wh what we were saying at that time, that we were attacked for, so personally by my own newspaper, my former newspaper, this is essentially the same thing that the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said, you know, raising the same questions, uh, coming to uh, the, the, the same conclusions about the absolute emptiness of, of the case against Frank Gable. They had no physical evidence against him. All they ever had was 
what they had made up and what they'd fed to their lying witnesses. They had no case then, and, and, but it's clear <laughs> it, it, it's over. They have, have nothing. Well, it's, it's a wonderful week for Frank. And um, this is just a wonderful testament to your effort. So I thank you both. And I talked to Frank. Uh, twice yesterday. The first time we couldn't even talk, I had to do it later uh, to get our shit together. But uh, many, many thanks to everybody. And uh, he was still stunned and literally felt like he'd been hit by a car. Just didn't know what to say or how to react. All his senses were maxed out. Uh, But the biggest thing that he could barely get out was just thank you, everybody. Let me ask you this, Kevin. Having had the news of the exoneration and the fact that Oregon cannot ever in any way, shape, or form retry Frank, what is left for you? What does justice mean to you? What does it remain? Uh, I spent the better part of last night fighting a lot of demons that I know were going to be coming up. And the biggest demon is the preservation of the evidence, the ends that they may have gone to to destroy evidence or corrupt evidence, who is going to take on the new case, how can they do that under the jurisdiction, correct jurisdiction is the Oregon State Police. Are they going to investigate themselves in the process? And how can that even occur? And are we going to go through this whole process again where the Cranky Brothers and Phil are marching with pitchforks and shovels saying this is nonsense? Because 35 years later, the question remains, who killed Michael Frankie? Oregon has never answered that question. And the fact that Frank has now been cleared makes that question even more pressing. Almost as big a question today is, why did they kill Mike Frankie? Why did they fabricate, create a case that takes them completely out of the realm of the individual or individuals, I should say, who were responsible for the murder? So now we've got an even uglier situation that they've got to hide. Hmm. Well, I thank you both so much for um, the dedication that you've shown to clearing an innocent man and the compassion that you have for not just one another, but, but for the legacy of your brother, Michael Frankie. Um, And I very much appreciate you two joining me to share on the update. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Lauren. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.